Hey, whether you enjoy listening to Breaking Down Collapse or Building Up Resilience, I think you'll also really enjoy our bonus content on Patreon. Yeah, Kellen and I take 20 minutes each week to talk about the news that's happening all around us and Collapse as it plays out. We like to have a little fun with it, but also make sure that you're aware of what's going on in the world of Collapse. We look forward to having you join us there. The link to join us on Patreon is in the episode description. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. All right, Corey, we've talked in the past about the widening wealth gap. We've mentioned things around poverty. We've we've mentioned mass migrations. There are a lot of things that we've talked about that relate to this particular issue, and it's one that is going to be especially interesting to watch throughout Collapse. Many of us don't relate to it. Hopefully, many of, of our listeners have never been in a situation in which they are homeless I feel so fortunate that I've never been in that situation. It's a, a tragedy. And if you think about it, like there are just a few basic necessities in life. We talk about like food and water and shelter, right? And so the survival of our society depends on how well we're able to meet those needs. And one thing that we've mentioned over and over again on the podcast is that as you know, climate change increases and as uh, we use up more resources and as we come up against the limits of our financial system and as all of these aspects of collapse all kind of collide together, the way that we will most likely see the majority of those issues manifest is through economic troubles. And so I, th I think it's worth keeping all of that in mind as we dive into the topic of homelessness. I think if you're somebody who is new to the conversation around collapse, you probably wouldn't think of homelessness as a really directly relevant topic. And yet, I think as we talk through it, we'll see just how much it is. 
I think one of the main things that doing the research on this episode did for me was make me realize how vulnerable I am, we all are, to homelessness. It used to, to me, feel like something that was very foreign. You know, that is not something I have to worry about. But in reality, many of us are just, you know, one step away from potentially being homeless. And we'll go over some specific examples of that later. And if I can jump in and just say before we get too deep on uh, some of the research that we did, I watched a YouTube video of uh, an interview with a man who is homeless. It was somewhere here in the U.S. This guy had been living on the streets for a couple of years, and it was heartbreaking to watch. Like, once you become homeless, it is so difficult to get out of. You know, this guy mentioned that it's extremely tough. Obviously, if you're homeless, you are so much more vulnerable to, like, the elements, right? Every time there's any sort of extreme weather, that is a really dangerous situation for you. Oftentimes, you have to deal with unsafe conditions, you know, crime and violence. In this interview that I watched, this guy, he had lost his job. He ended up without a home. He was out on the street. You know, he didn't end up there because he had a drug problem, but over the course of his time there, he did develop one and he described just a lot of that was to try to kind of escape from the hunger that he felt. And, you know, the only people he really knew or that would spend time with him were these other homeless people and and there was some social pressure there. Anyway, so that put him at even more of a disadvantage once he had this drug addiction. And then he talked about trying to clean up his act and all of his efforts to get a job, but he, he couldn't like apply for a bunch of jobs online. He didn't have the internet. If it was a virtual interview, he couldn't do that. If it's an in-person interview, like he's got nowhere to even shower and iron his clothes and clean up. He walks in and they can tell that he, you know, his clothes haven't been washed recently. He doesn't have like an email address or even a home address as they're asking for his information. He was just at such a disadvantage and he wanted so badly to get out of it. And yet it felt like he was trapped there forever. So I mentioned that just as a way, you know, we talk about these things sometimes in a very callous way, especially because, you know, I haven't had to deal with homelessness. And yet, you know, I think it's worth mentioning how heartbreaking and how tragic it really is. Yeah, I think there are a lot of misconceptions about what homelessness is and who are the homeless and why are they homeless. Um, we'll talk a little bit about those misconceptions later on in the episode, but maybe a good way to start would be to just define it a little bit. Talk about what is homelessness. It, it, I know it's different in different parts of the world. And then maybe go through some of the the numbers, just get an overall idea of what is the state of homelessness today in the world. Good. So the Universal Declaration of Human Rights defines homeless as those who do not live in a regular residence due to lack of adequate housing, safety, and availability. It's worth mentioning that there are lots of definitions of homelessness. Every nation, as they're reporting out on their homeless population, defines it in a different way. And so technically, somebody could have, you know, four walls and a roof and still be considered homeless if certain conditions aren't met within the definition of the country that they live in. Yeah, there's a story 
that I'll probably go into a little more later. This is from an article that I read about a family living in Rhode Island who ended up becoming homeless, even though they were making a, a decently significant amount of money. They were making $80,000 a year. But without going into, into the details of that story, once they lost their home, their solution was, well, we need to keep a roof over our kids' heads. So they lived out of a hotel or hotels and motels for as long as they could, as long as their financial situation would allow. But even while they were living out of that hotel, they were not technically considered homeless because they had a roof over their heads. In order to be able to find shelter through the state, they had to move out of the hotels and into a tent and live in a tent as a family, a family of six, so that the state would then help them with shelter. So they were actually doing themselves a disservice by spending a bunch more money to try and keep a roof over their heads, putting them at a further disadvantage when that money ran out. They were forced into a tent, which then allowed them to try and get help from the state. So like you're saying, different states, different nations can use different definitions, and that can have a big impact on who is receiving help and also the stats, the numbers that we're looking at when we talk about who's homeless, it, it doesn't always necessarily mean the same thing. Yeah, you and I, Corey, have spent some time in, you know, different countries. When I lived in the state of Oaxaca in Mexico for a period of time, you know, there might be people that just found a spot kind of up on the hill. They've they've got four posts and a tin roof and it's a dirt floor and they don't even have electricity and it, it's maybe like a little bit of a step up from a tent but you can see where in one nation that might be considered a home in another it's not most of the solid numbers out there for homelessness usually come with a caveat where they say it's likely highly underreported it's also important to note that many countries just don't give numbers um some of the reporting that I found was showing about half of the world's nations even giving any sort of number estimate to the amount of homelessness. And I think it's probably safe to assume that the countries in which living conditions are the worst and in which there probably is the most homelessness are where it's not being reported. So maybe to start with some numbers, we'll start here in the U.S., give some numbers, and then we'll look, we'll look more globally. Pretty much all the data you can find right now is from 2020 or before. COVID put a big um, challenge in the way of reporting homeless numbers. 2020, uh, 2021, and 2022 do not have super accurate numbers. And they are saying that this, this coming year, the next reporting will probably be the first accurate reporting since before the pandemic. Obviously, the reason for that, um, there wasn't people going into a lot of homeless shelters to take numbers. There was also a lot less capacity in homeless shelters because many of them had to incorporate social distancing, which meant less people per room, which is going to, in the end, mean more people actually on the streets rather than in shelters. But with that being said, in 2020, there were approximately 580,000 homeless in the U.S., which is actually a slight decrease in the homeless population since 2007. There's been about a 10% decrease over, over that time period. But trends have started to reverse and are on the rise again from 2015 
till 2020. And no doubt with the pandemic, it's gone up even more. One interesting stat is that around one-fifth of the homeless in the U.S. are chronically homeless, meaning they've had more than a year of homelessness combined at least over the last three years. To me, the good news means that four-fifths aren't chronically homeless. Maybe it's a very temporary thing, but that also means that a lot of people are moving in and out of homelessness. If it's pretty consistent every year, somewhere around 600,000 people being homeless, but four-fifths of them are new that year, it's kind of scary to think that so many people are coming into homelessness, uh, but again, encouraging that they're finding their way back out. In the U.S., homeless shelters only have capacity for 60% of the estimated homeless population, so that leaves a large number of people completely unsheltered. Families with children make up only 10% of the unsheltered population, but 50% of children without families were unsheltered. So whether or not the children had parents accompanying them made a huge difference to whether or not they were able to get in shelters or whether or not they were on the streets. From 2015 to 2020, the number of unsheltered homeless increased by 30%. So while the overall number of homeless might be going up much less than that, the number of people who are not able to get shelter who are ending up out on the streets has increased by nearly a third. Now, what's interesting is when you go from U.S. homelessness, and then you go and look at global homelessness, it is a very vast difference. So it's estimated that 150 million people are homeless worldwide, which is about 1.9%, so nearly 2% of the population is considered homeless. Habitat for Humanity estimates in 2016 that 1.6 billion people live in adequate shelter. So 1.6 billion people is 20% of the population. And then when you compare global homelessness with U.S. homelessness, the global situation is at least 10 times worse per capita. So in the U.S., it's 0.18% of the population, and globally, it's close to two. Yeah, to put in context just how different it can be across different nations, I'll share some numbers. One caveat here is that these are reported at some point during like the last 15 or 16 years. You know, every country has a different cadence for when they report these things out. And so some of these aren't as updated. And they have different definitions as well, like you mentioned. Exactly. But like Nigeria, in 2007, they reported 24.4 million homeless. That means for every 10,000 people, 1,658 people are homeless. Egypt reported 12 million, and that was just in 2013. But there's a lot of debate around that because, uh, you know, some scholars say that Egypt doesn't define it the way that they should. Is the debate that there's actually more and that they're being, they're undercounting? Yeah, apparently Egypt has 1,200 areas that are designated for irregular dwellings that don't conform to standard building laws. And so people are able to kind of build like little shacks and shelters for themselves. Basically, what's being said is that there's no agreed upon definition. And so they don't really know if those numbers are accurate or not. Okay. So four poles in the ground with a tarp on top and they're saying, oh, they're not homeless, potentially. Yeah. We don't know if they're underreporting or overreporting how they're defining it. Indonesia, in 2004, it was reported they had 3 million China in 2011, the report was 
2,579,000. Which as a number is high, but as a proportion of their population is probably low. But that's definitely a piece of data that I'm going to be a little skeptical on as far as how they're reporting that as well. Yeah, and with China, it's especially interesting because supposedly it's less common in China to see homelessness from people with mental health problems because they have stronger family ties, right? More more family members are willing to take them in. They've also looked at, you know, some of the correlations there between individuals that come from rural communities and try and make it into more populated areas and maybe have less education and how that affects homelessness. It just speaks to the fact that there are a lot of compounding factors. In Haiti, 2010, there are 2.3 million homeless. India, supposedly 1.7 million homeless. Um, but that's another one where people are saying, actually, there's a really significant portion of the population in India that is homeless. We don't need to go through all these, but you know, Zimbabwe, Honduras, Germany, as you go down the list of just the highest quantity of homeless people in a nation, and then you hit the U.S., which, like you shared, for the past you know, 10 to 15 years, that number has bounced around between like 550,000 to 600,000. What's interesting is when you look at the top 10 nations by uh, proportion of their population, those top 10 all have around 10% or more of their entire population being homeless. And that, that is just wild to think about. And, and then you add on top of that, that some of the countries facing the most homelessness are not being listed here. So you think about countries that are collapsing right now that we've talked about recently, um, you know, Sri Lanka, Lebanon, Ukraine, Afghanistan, Pakistan. I think Afghanistan was listed, but the other ones were not. You know, the number in Pakistan affected by flooding is estimated to be in the millions, even months after the flooding happened this last year. At one point, they said 30 million people were affected, their homes were affected by that flooding. You know, you got places like Sri Lanka and Lebanon, where upwards of 50% of the population is living in poverty. So in these places where numbers are not being reported, you know that the, the proportions have to be very high. So now that we've discussed the prevalence of homelessness, both in the U.S. and globally, it might be worth taking a moment to talk about why it even happens. And you're going to get all sorts of different opinions out there. You know, there's kind of this stereotype that it's all just because people are lazy, they're not working hard enough, or because they're all drug addicts or whatever. Which, by the way, a quick note on that, that is something that we are seeing from mainstream media. You know, we did a, um, a bonus episode a few weeks ago, several weeks ago, where I talked about something I had seen on Fox News while I was at the gym. It was just on the TV. And they were just story after story going after the homeless population. And they were trying to get across that, like, oh, it's it's the liberals that are causing this. This is only happening in liberal cities, and it's liberal like ideology that's making this happen. But in so doing, they were villainizing the homeless. They were showing videos of a homeless guy attacking somebody who was trying to help. 
and they were showing somebody who was terrified of walking through this part of town because of all the homeless people in it. And none of it was like, what do we do to help the homeless? How can we be better at helping them? It was, it was treating them like the bad guy and treating the, the Democrats bad for wanting to spend money to try and fix the situation. Yeah, it's fascinating the way it's looked at. And it, it is tough because it's hard to pull all these issues apart from one another. But even if the main cause of homelessness was mental health issues, then you would think as a society, those are the people that we'd want to help the most. And yet they're kind of the people that get forgotten. So recently, you know, some increases in homelessness have taken place because of inflation. Housing costs so much more. Rent has been increasing in these last couple of years at its fastest rate since 1986. And so people are just priced out. And so much of that has to do with supply and demand. And there's a brief New York Times article that I think does a really good job of making this point. They talk about how that's really what it all comes down to is supply and demand. They point to the fact that, you know, there have been all these policies in, in different places around the U.S. that have prevented the construction of high-density housing or affordable housing. And it's true. It makes sense. Almost any community, if a developer comes in and says, I want to build a big apartment complex, you know, people fight against it. And they fight against it because they're worried about, you know, it decreasing their home values. Uh, they fight against it because they're worried about all the traffic. It'll uh, it'll maybe change the community and bring in a certain type of people. So you're referring to something, I don't know if you know this term, called NIMBYism. Basically, it's, it's N-I-M-B-Y, not in my backyard. And it's the idea that everybody agrees, yeah, high-density housing is important. We need a, a place to put them, but don't put them here. Because I don't want, like you just said, all these reasons. Maybe it's more crime. Maybe it's my value is going down. Maybe it's more traffic. Everybody wants it to happen, but they want it to happen somewhere else. Yeah. And it just speaks to the fact that, you know, people that are on the fringes of society are at such a big disadvantage. Those that are more impoverished, it's so hard for them to ever get integrated into society and, and really get back on their feet. And I think that what's interesting is that that group of people used to be a different group of people than maybe it is today. Like in the past, it may have been very impoverished people, right? Today, it's like your average millennial or Gen Z just getting out of school or just getting married, just getting into the workforce, or maybe even someone a decade into the workforce. Housing affordability has has grown so far beyond wages that those are the people now who are looking for high density housing, build, you know, want to buy a townhome. Um, super small condos, whatever it is, most people can't just expect to get into a nice, you know, two or three or four bedroom starter home. Yeah, that speaks to what we were talking about before, where there are assumptions people make as to what the causes of homelessness are and, and what they are in reality. You know, people attribute homelessness to addiction and poverty and mental illness and all of that. But again, going back to the idea that it's just a function of supply and demand, 
This New York Times article that I mentioned says, Many cities and states in the Midwest and South, for example, have higher rates of mental illness, poverty, or addiction than other parts of the U.S., but they have similar or lower rates of homelessness. And some of those things are a factor, but I like one analogy that this article used. They talk about the game of musical chairs, which for our international listeners, I don't know if this is a game that's played across the world or just here in the U.S., but the idea that, you know, it's usually children. Maybe you've got 10 kids and 10 chairs and you pull out one chair and you play a song. And then as the kids walk around these chairs, the music stops and they all have to race to a chair. So with 10 kids and only nine chairs, somebody ends up without a chair and they have to sit out the rest of the game. And usually it involves two people like smashing their butts against each other to see who's stronger and then a chair falling over and somebody crying. (laughs) It can get violent. (laughs) So then the next round, they take out another chair. Now there's nine kids and eight chairs and they play the music, stop it. Kids all race to find a chair and they do that all the way until you get down to one. Anyways, the analogy that was used was saying something like, in a game of musical chairs, let's say you've got somebody who like is it a, is at a physical disadvantage. They can't get to a chair quite as fast. If they don't make it to the last chair, is it because they aren't as capable or is it because there aren't enough chairs? Like it, it's both, right? But really if there were enough chairs, there'd be enough spots for everybody. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Yeah, if there were 10 kids in 10 chairs, it doesn't matter who might have the disability or who's disadvantaged or whatever, everybody just gets a chair and everybody's happy. And I think the frustrating part for for me and for, I'm sure, the homeless is seeing that there are enough chairs. They just are unavailable chairs. People talk about how there's so many vacant homes and buildings. I don't remember the percentage. There's some percentage of, of homes that are vacant in the U.S. that would more than house the homeless population. And that's where it gets really interesting because a lot of those homes are like vacation homes for the wealthy or, you know, it's, it's somebody who owns multiple properties. It's a tax write-off. Yeah, whatever it is, it's like the issue is that there's not enough affordable homes. One example is that apparently California has 23 available affordable homes for every 100 extremely low-income renters. And California 
you know, has some of the worst rates of that in the, in the nation. But it points to the fact that when we're talking about supply and demand, and that's the issue, we're talking about having enough affordable homes. Now, there's something that you've probably heard of before. It's the Housing Affordability Index. And to share a quick definition, the Housing Affordability Index in the metropolitan area measures whether or not a typical family earns enough income to qualify for a 30-year fixed mortgage loan on a typical single-family home without spending more than 25% of the income on payment for principal and interest. So does that make sense? Yeah. Yep. Is a lot, but I got it. Okay. Well, there was an article uh, published just a month ago. This is from a website called The Real Deal, but they were citing some um, statistics from a Bloomberg article. And you know how this works where articles are all pulling from different articles. The reason I, I share that is that I didn't want to subscribe or get past the paywall or whatever, whatever it was to get to some of the original sources. So take this with a grain of salt. But this article stated housing affordability nationwide is the worst it has ever been on record due to spiking home prices and interest rates. So again, remember the definition that, you know, average income would a family be able to afford a median priced home and make the monthly payments for a 30 year fixed mortgage at 25% of their income. So this article stated in September of 2022, a median income household would have had to spend a little over 46% of its income to afford a median priced home. Wow. Yeah. So with the way things are trending, like you said, we don't have very current data in the U.S. on homelessness, but we can expect to see that in the coming year or two. And it's likely with the lack of affordable housing that homelessness has increased a lot and it will continue to increase. Yeah, I had mentioned earlier an article that I had read about how one particular family became homeless. And this might be a good time to talk about that just based off of what you just said. So this is a family, again, making $80,000 in 2021 in Rhode Island. No drug addiction, no crime convictions, no anything like that. They were two hardworking people. They had four children. So one could argue that $80,000 with four children in Rhode Island, it's not a lot of money. But you would think that $80,000 you could get by. Well, their landlord evicted them, gave them a 30-day notice saying, we've got a relative moving in. You got to go. Because they had a low credit score, they kept being rejected at different places they were applying. All these different places that they were applying had fees for them to apply, which is just a racket to me. Um, $5,000 is what they ended up paying in fees uh, over the course of trying to get into a place to rent. Nobody would take them. So they were evicted when the time came, which ruined their credit score even more. It raised a red flag to other places they were trying to rent. They said, oh no, you've been evicted. You definitely can't rent here. So they all of a sudden just could not find a place to rent. So, like I mentioned, they moved into a hotel to try and keep a roof over the heads of their four children. That was very expensive. They spent $40,000 on hotel rooms over the course of six months because of the places that they were staying, they were staying in cheap and unsafe hotel rooms. They didn't have internet connection, which meant that the wife had to stop working. She had a remote job. 
uh, she could no longer do it. And also because these hotels were one room with her four kids there, it just didn't make it possible. So now their income is less. Their car broke down. They couldn't afford payments on it. Couldn't afford to fix it. So now they're walking everywhere. Now that they're living in a hotel uh, and they're having to walk to get food and groceries, they were limited in where they could go to get their groceries or where they could eat. The places nearby were more expensive, so they were then spending more money than they needed to be on food and groceries. Like I mentioned before, they had to move out at that point of the hotel, number one, because they couldn't afford it, and number two, because in order to have homeless status, in order to be able to get into a shelter, they had to live in, uh, they had to not have a roof. So they moved into a campground. Uh, They put all of their stuff into a storage unit, which they ended up losing because they couldn't pay it. They had to try and get all their stuff out of the storage unit before it went to auction. I think it said they ended up losing half of the stuff in their storage unit. You know, they're living in a tent. They're having problems with everything that comes with that, especially with four young kids. During this time, they went through some serious medical issues. The mom got pneumonia. Their young children had RSV. This is in the fall two years ago. So not as strong as an RSV year as this last one, but very strong. Both kids ended up having to go to the ER. When mom got pneumonia, she couldn't afford the medication. She had to wait till payday uh, just to be able to pay for medication. So just this spiraling mess, right? Now, they were, I guess you could say, lucky in the end because they found a cousin who allowed them to rent a one-bedroom apartment for $800. So the six of them were living in a one-bedroom apartment, paying $800 a month. Eventually, they were able to get a second room so that they could at least split and have a little bit more space. But at this point, they're still looking for stable housing. They're no longer technically homeless, but their living conditions are terrible. They lost so much in the space of that time. They are one of the ones who I mentioned earlier. They're not technically chronically homeless, like one-fifth of homeless people are. But that doesn't mean that their story has this great happy ending and that everything's peachy for them. There's every possibility that they end up homeless again if this one family member who they're currently relying on could no longer afford to house them. So that story, reading that, um, the article does a great job of portraying the emotion in it, um, really letting you feel the frustration from that family. That affected me a lot and again, realizing that None of us are that far from homelessness. He didn't lose his job. There was no like big shakeup where they lost their their income. It started with a simple eviction because one person decided that he wanted his family member to live there. Now, the reason for homelessness, I know in like this situation that I just described, is very different than much of the reason for homelessness throughout the world. You mentioned a couple of things, Kellen, affordable housing, um, low wages, not keeping up with that housing. We have things like unemployment and poverty. But globally, there's two huge factors added in. And these are growing in relevance in the U.S. as well. But there are bigger factors, I think, globally. And that's violence, trying to escape violence, and natural disasters. You know, you look at problems with civil wars, external wars or occupations, terrorism, Those are huge reasons for displacing people. And then when you consider things like natural disasters that are increasing as well, obviously that's increasing the amount of homelessness. So when we talk about the future of mass migration, 
Well, mass migration is simply the movement of homeless people trying to find a home somewhere else. They say at least a billion migrants by 2050. So that's a billion homeless people by then, at the very least. You talked about Nigeria earlier. Uh, That's interesting because Nigeria is two-thirds the population of the United States, but 50 times the homeless population. And so much of that is due, again, to violence, to terrorism, with Boko Haram and others. But they also have a lot of natural disasters and flooding that are displacing people as well. So there, Corey, you you were alluding to some of the causes of homelessness and how we might see more of that in the future. And that leads to just a few other reasons why this will be an especially interesting issue to watch during collapse. I say watch, uh, hopefully not have to experience, but there are a lot of implications here as we look at what we're anticipating will happen with all these other problems that we're facing. One is that, if you'll remember, collapse is often defined with at least a part of the definition being a significant decrease in the population. And that's interesting in the context of homelessness for two reasons. One is that, you know, the homeless are the most vulnerable. Like we mentioned before, they're, you know, exposed to the elements and and to a higher risk of, you know, infectious diseases and all of these other problems. And so as those problems get more intense, as we get more infectious diseases and we, as we see more natural disasters, the population that is most likely to have those kind of difficulties turn into fatal tragedies are the homeless. Also, as we head into more economic challenges, that means there will be less of society's, you know, kind of crumbs to pick up it might mean that there's not an opportunity for someone who's homeless to go find a shelter where they can get what they need to get by. Right. In so many cases right now, it's welfare, it's social systems and infrastructure that have been put in place to help take care of homeless. That's one of the reasons for the decrease in in homeless population from 2007 to 2015 in the U.S. is because there's been an increase in shelters and work being done to provide for them, but in collapse, like you're saying, catabolic collapse, the funding and resources to be able to do that is stripped away, meaning that those who are already homeless and those who are becoming homeless have no recourse. Yeah, so all of that is to say, if I were to say it much more bluntly, not in such a gentle way, if collapse will mean a lot of people are going to die, it's probably the homeless population that will die first. That whole concept of collapse being a a decrease in the population also has another interesting implication for homelessness. Because if we see a big decrease in the population, there will suddenly be many more available homes, at least in theory. So does that mean that supply and demand will even out? And again, even if it does, if there are plenty of homes to house all the homeless, you know, as the wealth gap continues to widen, are we just going to see the wealthy buy up more and more of these abandoned houses and rent them out at really high prices? So it it will be fascinating to watch and see, will collapse reduce the amount of homelessness because of that balance of supply and demand, or will it just continue to increase? 
the next thought, and you alluded to this earlier, is mass migrations, that so many people are likely to be displaced from their homes. We've done entire episodes on this topic. And just as a thought exercise, imagine you've got Nation A, and they have 1 million houses in their nation, and they also have 1 million families. In theory, supply and demand are just exactly equal. Let's say you have Nation B, who also has exactly 1 million houses and 1 million families. If Nation B has some sort of an internal conflict, there's terrorism, or maybe there's flooding or some other natural disasters, if anything happens that causes people from Nation B to need to flee from their homes, they go to Nation A, well, now there's a huge housing shortage. That's a problem in and of itself. But now, think if Nation A, where all these people are fleeing to, also already has a big homeless problem, and Nation A is also facing significant challenges and disasters. The people within their own country are being displaced, while people from neighboring countries are trying to come in and find a place as well. And then you add the fact that even if we could have enough houses for everybody those don't get distributed the way that they should. So all of those issues combine to make the idea of mass migrations, which we know are going to increase, a huge factor in an anticipated spike in the homeless population. The last thing that I think will be interesting to watch is how many people will simply be homeless by choice. You may remember we had our interview, our conversation with Sean Chamberlain, And he talked about his journey, and and as he saw everything that's going on, uh, a lot of it was him not wanting to contribute to the problems that we're seeing. He tried to live as minimally as possible, live without money, you know, form kind of a community. You think about Margaret Kiljoy, who talked to us about having a structure off-grid that might not be considered, under some definitions, an adequate home right, if it doesn't have electricity or running water or whatever, as all these issues intensify, what is that going to look like for the kind of choices people make in terms of their shelter? Yeah, those are a lot of interesting questions. And a lot of it, I feel like, is there's going to be positive feedback loops involved. You know, you talked about the violence, moving someone from nation B to nation A. Well, that's going to cause violence within nation A, right? And then it's a feedback loop of people leaving from nation A to somewhere else. When it comes to the way we already see the homeless population being treated today, uh, specifically I'm thinking in the U S because I don't know how mainstream media looks at it internally in other countries, but the way that they can tend to be villainized here, you know, capitalists will say they need to pull themselves up by the bootstraps or that they deserve it because they are drug addicts or, prostitutes or whatever you know they'll just try and and criminalize them so you have that already happening and then at the same time you have the same thing happening with migration you know calling them illegals foreigners alien whatever it is it's again this demonization it's making them an enemy it's making them a them instead of uh, an us a part of the human race and it sets a nation up, or at least political parties within a nation, to be willing to stand up for and fight against that group. It's all part of the nationalism and the fascism that we've talked about in the past. 
But the reason I mentioned that is just to say that it foments more polarization, division, and violence, which is all part of that feedback loop. I don't look forward to seeing the things that you've mentioned play out. There are so many questions and it will be interesting to see what happens, but I'm deeply saddened by this because this this is one of the more like human emotional tolls to watch people's livelihoods, their standards of livings decrease in many cases so rapidly and so intensely and knowing that we are all a part of that. The story that I highlighted earlier, you know, about who some might consider a middle class family, a lot of people say, well, there is, there really is no such thing as a middle class. That's propaganda. There's the working class and there's the capitalist class. There's people who work to get by and there are people who use their existing capital to get by. So even the middle class is part of the working class if their labor is required to get by day to day. And so any of those in the middle class are just as vulnerable if not in some cases more vulnerable because they might be more leveraged by debt and things like that to become homeless in the event of whether it's eviction or job loss or whatever it might be. One interesting takeaway that I think I have from this is, you know, you mentioned one of the reasons why perhaps there's less homelessness in China is because people are more willing to live with family and families are more willing to invite them in. I think about my situation if I were to lose my home for some reason, I know my family would welcome me in if they had. It's still an adequate place to be. Um, and number one, it makes me sad that I know many people don't have that for whatever reason. But two, it, it, it brings about the importance of community, the importance of making connections, of knowing people, of building relationships with people. Because one day you may rely on those people for this type of thing and they may rely on you. So it's a willingness to be open, help others, to be vulnerable and allow yourself to be helped. There's not a lot that one can do to prepare for the future of collapse, but I think the, the art of building and fomenting genuine mutual relationships is perhaps one of the most important. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.